to see everyone this morning. Love hearing you worship and sing as we finish out the month of September with this topic of worship. Hopefully you have learned a lot and you've put some things to practice. I know for myself, I have as well. So today our, our message title is called The Protocol of Worship. We will be in Psalms 100. So just a quick recap from last week. Again, we want to learn something and we build upon each week. So last week we talked about this idea of our responses to worship. Celebration. We come to worship God. Hopefully this morning you came to celebrate, right? That's our vertical response to God. Then we talked about the, the proclamation, which is our horizontal response, that we believe that whether a, a, a backslidden believer or someone who doesn't know Jesus, that through our worship, through our proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, People can be intrigued and want to know about this Jesus we worship. And lastly, we've seen in Isaiah, I mean Psalms 40, we've seen that David was in a time of confession. He said that sin was all around him. There was as much sin as the hairs on his head. And so as we talked last week, this idea, sometimes worship, we think that we have to be on this mountaintop experience. But many times I know as David's seen in, in Psalms 40 and even in our lives, that there's the times when we are at the lowest part of our life that we cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I am worshiping you. We are broken, and that is where we come into that intimate relationship with God. So we left you with two challenges when we come corporately and gather together to come to celebrate. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And then also we want to tell others about this great God we serve. We talk that worship is, can be evangelistic. People think maybe we're crazy in what we do and we sing and we, we cry and we weep and we shout and we rejoice. But why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? So this morning we're going to talk about, as we close out this worship study, on the protocol of worship. So a survey was taken for anyone over the age of 95. Does that fit anyone in here? No, no, don't. Oh, Mar uh, Elmer raised his hand. Okay, yeah, no. Anyone over the age of 95, and this survey was asked this question. If you could live your life differently, what would you do? Well, there were three responses. One is I would reflect more, I would risk more, and I would do things in my life that outlive me. I would reflect more, I would risk more. And I would do things in my life that would outlive me. So let me ask us that question this morning. What would you do differently if you had to do life over again? Well, no doubt many of us would say, I, you know, I wish I would spend more time with my family and my kids. I wish I wouldn't have worked as much. As you get older, you think, man, those, those things did not matter. But you would never come, hopefully no one who's a believer would ever come to the point in their life where they would say, you know, I wish I wouldn't have worshipped as much as I did. I wish I wouldn't have prayed as much as I did. We, you would think that is bizarre coming from someone who is a believer. Anything, any time, any energy we have given to God is never a regret, right? It should never, ever be a regret. I think there's three groups of people, three responses of people in our world of how they respond to God. And again, this goes along with our worship this morning, so hang with me. There's these individuals that want to ignore him. People that know, okay, there's just some kind of a power, you know, there's this, they have this idea, there's a man upstairs, the white beard, the old man who's kind of just overseeing things. They ignore him. They could, they, could, they could take or leave God. They don't really, they don't believe him. They just think there's this power. Two, there's those individuals that despise God. 
Those are individuals that when you mention God at all, maybe you have people like this in your family or at work, no, 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 no. I don't want to hear anything about that person, that God. No, no, he doesn't exist, he doesn't exist, he's not real. Then thirdly, you have individuals who adore him, who love him, who praise him. So if I was to ask you, what group do you fall into, what would you say? Good answer, church. We would have problems if you fell into the other categories. But many Christians today adore God, but live as if God only exists on Sunday. Many Christians today live as if God only exists on Sunday when they come to church. One pastor said it this way, he is sorry on Sunday for what he did on Saturday only to do it again on Monday. He is sorry on Sunday for what he did Saturday only to do it again on Monday. So this morning we want to give you four words this morning as we close out this study. Four words that should be part of each of us individually in our gatherings as we come to seek to worship God, his redeemed. So let's read our text, Psalms 100. Very short chapter. Verses, only five verses in this book, I mean in this chapter. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So right off the start this morning, our first word is guess what? It is worship. Worship joyfully. Worship joyfully. Let's go back and let's break down this passage of Scripture, if you would uh, join me. So in verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That word noise there in the Hebrew means to give a shout, a victory cry. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That, uh, that word there is not what we think of a melody, singing, like we sing a melody of a song like the worship team did this morning. But it's a shouting, it's a ringing cry. See, the word sing was found, sing, singing was found 70 times in the book of Psalms. And it's an important way of how the followers of God worshipped the living God. Actually, this particular passage of Scripture, a history fact for us this morning, is that this particular psalm was used as a call to worship for the pilgrims and sojourners coming into the temple gates. We have a song like that in our hymnal that we sang, probably written back in the mid-80s. You can join me if I start singing it. You ready? Come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart and give him praise. Oh, you don't want to sing? Okay. And give him praise. Here we go. Ready? Come into his presence with thanksgiving in your heart. Your voice is raised. Good. Your voice is raised. Come on. Here we go. Give glory and honor and power unto him, Jesus the name above all names. Very good. You didn't clap. I don't know why. <laughs> but can you imagine, just think about that. The, as, as people were coming into the temple courts, the, 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 the temple musicians were preparing 
were preparing the people to come to worship. Their mindset was on who they were worshiping. Can you imagine, instead of coming into church and fellowshipping, the worship band starts singing. We were coming in singing a song of praise, getting our minds focused on the object of our worship. Come into his presence. The word shout or noise comes from the same Hebrew word. It's found 17 times in the book of Psalms, and every time it is mentioned has to do with this, uh, this idea of worship to God. You see, when a person, this idea of a shout, when a person would be brought before a king, male or female would be brought before a king, they would give a shout to the king. Hail king! And what that did is that showed power, the king's position, his power, his, his victory position as king. Where are my military guys here? Raise your hand. Okay, there is one word that spans all the branches of service. It's a victory cry. What is it, Mike Overs? Do you know what it is? Hoorah! That's it. No, it's, it says it's an infantryman thing. I went, when we, we see Mitchell graduate, these guys were saying, oorah, all the time. What's, guess, guess what that is? That's a victory cry. A victory cry. We see this also in Joshua chapter 6, where Joshua marched around the city walls. And what happened? A, God said, a blast of trumpet and a shout. And what, what did God do? He collapsed the walls of Jericho. Ezra 3 shows that the people shouted when the foundations of the temple were built and a shout of God's people of praise. And guess what? It, scripture tells us that it was heard from afar off. This idea of this shout of praise. Worship was alive because of who they were worshiping. Charles Spurgeon once said this, Our happy God should be worshipped by a happy people, and a cheerful people is in keeping with the nature and his acts. So as we think about this idea of a protocol of worship, let me ask you a few questions to keep you engaged this morning. Are we joyful in our worship? Are we joyful in our worship? This morning, when you came into this church, were you joyful? Number two, are we joyfully singing to God? Think about it. Are you joyfully singing to God when we sing? And lastly, are we cheerful when we come into God's presence? Some fun facts for us. You know that the Bible does not mention our address is us how we are to sing. It just doesn't talk about technique, doesn't talk about a beat, it doesn't talk about a style or a song choice. I've been in the worship industry, and I say industry, but involved with church, worship, music, and I've been involved with every worship war there has been. I have the armor in my office to show you, okay? And this is what we would argue over, and there's nothing in the Bible that tells us about a technique or a beat or a style. But one thing Scripture tells us in worship is that when we praise God, we are to do it joyfully. Amen. We are to do it joyfully. In the book of Psalms, the word joy or joyful was found 45 times, and it has to be with the idea of praise to our God. But I know that when people come to worship corporately, there's excuses of why we don't sing or show ourselves to be worshiping God. Can I go through some of the excuses that we, I've heard in my years? Nothing from any of you, of course. I can't sing. Don't raise your hand if you fit in that category. 
I don't have a singing voice. Well, we just read in Scripture, and the word shout and noise has nothing to do with, with what we think is singing. God gave you your voice, right? He knows you can't sing. So give it back to him. Right? Um, my father-in-law, uh, Janet's uh, late husband, Marlon was his name. He loved to sing. He could not carry a tune in the bucket. Uh, in church, we would sit, uh, and from a junior, I would sit in front of Marlon and Janet, and he would sing, Victory in Jesus, my Savior. And that's not the tune of Victory in Jesus, just so you know that. And I would sit there as a musician, just like, mm, just like nails on a chalkboard. But he sang his heart out. He made a joyful noise to God. Number two, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like worshiping. That's an act of will. Tomorrow morning, you're not going to feel like getting up and going to work. Young people, Mason, you're not going to go to school tomorrow. I know that. We're going to have to drag you out of bed. I understand that. But we do it anyway. We do it anyway. Mark 12 tells us we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our whole being is to be enthralled in this worship of who God is. Why wouldn't we want to come corporately and sing and praise and worship? Number three, the other excuse is I am not an emotional person. Okay. Parents, seeing their little Johnny score that first soccer goal of their career. Been there, done that five times around, and Judy and I are not sitting there like, oh, that was a nice goal. What do we, yeah, crush him, right? There is emotion. For you guys that are golfers, you, you know, and, and, and Galvis, Donnie, you hit that ball off the tee, and it lands on the green, and it goes into the hole, and it rolls around and drops in, and you get that hole in one. You're not sitting there like, man, that was a nice shot. No, you are emotional. What if we took some of that emotion of what we are excited about and bring it this way and I worship with God? If the Lord is real in our midst, you will enjoy him. You will have some emotion. You just will. You just will. Many times we as Christians think that the worship of God needs to be carefully contained for some reason. But in every part of our lives, we show emotion greatly, don't we? We come in church, it's like, ooh. This is not the idea we read about in Psalms 100. God is not concerned about having secret admirers. Many times we as Christians, we try to just hide our emotion of what God has done for us. He wants his children to show him, to tell him how much we love him because of what he has done. Let's read that verse again. Make a joyful noise. We can all make a noise. To the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. We'll come back to that here in a few moments. Come into his presence with singing. I mean, again, that singing joyfully. See, some, sometimes we come together as Christians. Instead of coming together singing, we come together complaining. Worship has become a time of complaining for Christians because it goes against what we're used to in tradition. We don't like the music. It's too loud. It's too soft. The chairs aren't where they need to be. The paint doesn't match the carpet. The list goes on and on. 
I remember one time Pastor Mike shared when he was here leading worship, a guy wrote him a note saying, your tie tack was crooked. That's right. It's, I'm not, yes, Pastor, that's exactly true. We are so concerned about everything else except coming to worship a living God. If every time we come to church and all we do is complain, worship is about you. It's not about God. See, Satan uses that in our lives. Think about it a minute with me. So Satan, so he doesn't give Christians a day off. So think about it. For all, for all we can remember, whichever faith you come from, Catholic, uh, Mormons, what, whatever religion you're part of, unless you're a seven-day Adventist, when did you, when, when's the key day of worship? Sunday. Do you think Satan is saying, yeah, you know what? Let them go and worship on Sunday. We'll, we'll, we'll get them on Monday. No, 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 no. From the moment you get up on Sunday morning, guess what? Satan is hard at you, coming at you hard. With families, now, you and I can attest from having five children at different ages running in the church with throw up on our jackets, just coming in, okay, we're here. And we sit down at church, we're like, oh, been there, done that. You, you spill coffee. You, what, what is it? It's Satan's attack. So we don't enjoy being with God. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. It means being awake, being in one's mind. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls, he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Church, he wants to devour us on Sunday mornings. So we are not thinking about God. The next time you want to complain about something in your worship service, I want you to imagine in your mind that that's Satan coming at you. When you're ready to say, say, that's Satan. He wants you to distract you, and then he wants you to distract the person that you're telling that to. Do you see the snowball effect of this? And that thought comes in your mind. Focus on Jesus. When you're sitting there and you want to think about the week, you want to think about maybe this thought that came in your mind that shouldn't be there, cast it aside. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Worship God joyfully. Worship God joyfully. Number two, verse two, serve the word serve. Worship, worship joyfully, serve the Lord with gladness. Look at verse 2. Serve, it means to work, to labor the Lord with gladness. That word gladness there in the text means exceeding delight. So when we serve the Lord, we are to serve the Lord with exceeding delight. God wants more than just fans. He wants followers to obey and to seek his face and to serve him with delight, with gladness. Let me, let me engage you again. What gives you delight? You're probably thinking of several things that make you glad. What gives you delight in your life? How about serving the Lord? Do you serve him with delight, with gladness? Or is it a chore for you, like something you have to do? Think about it a minute. Do we serve the Lord with delight, with gladness? You see, emotion is a big part. We want to be emotional in when we come into the presence of God. But we need to put into motion and serve the Lord, serving him. Our service to God should reflect the worship we have towards him. Have you ever seen anyone serve the Lord grumbling? 
Come on, yes. I, in, my, in my time of being a Christian, I've served the, served the Lord grumbling. We all have. It's just a part, as something that has sin in our life, we had to confess, I'm, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be this way when I serve. We think of Luke 10, Mary and Martha. We know the story. Martha, and Mary, Martha was preparing the house for Jesus and, his, and, his, and her guests. And she goes to the Lord and she says, Lord, are you going to let Mary just leave me to do all the work here? And when the Lord said to her, oh, Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary's right where she needs to be. Serve the Lord with gladness. Another example we talked about a few weeks ago, our good friend Jonah. Jonah did not serve the Lord with gladness. Jonah, between Jonah 1 and Jonah 4, I see nowhere in those pages of Scripture where Jonah was like, Yay, I want to go to Nineveh. Yay, the people trusted God. Yay, oh God, thank you so much. No. He did not serve the Lord with delight. We do not want to be a Jonah. Church history tells us that during the Middle Ages, worship and anything dealing with God was this somber, sobering experience. The, the, the monastic period, the monks, they would wear black robes with hoods on. And it's when the Gregorian chants were birthed, you know, um, and anything worship was just uh, serious. And I, I know we need to be serious and all in respect. There's times for that in worship. But this whole lifestyle of just, oh, goes against Psalms 100. What's it tell us to do through the Psalms? Sing, shout, be glad, be joyful in our worship. Do you know when you sing, when you praise, you can smile? You can rejoice? You, we sang grace on top of grace. You, you, were you really thinking about the lyrics in which you sang? We don't need to be sad to be sanctified. Some people are like, the more I sit still, the more I sit in one and I just, mm, I'm more sanctified, like the monks. In fact, Paul tells the Christians in, in, in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that he loves a cheerful giver. And that word cheerful in the Greek is hilarous, which spelled, if you see it in English, guess what it spells? Hilarious. God wants a hilarious giver. God wants us to be hilarious in our worship. And I'm not talking about running around laughing, no, but joyful, cheerful in our worship towards him. Pastor once said this, cheerful, if you're a cheer cheerful giver, you're a cheerful liver. Now, not literally your liver. I think that's where your liver is. But when you're cheerful in your worship to God, your life, people are going to see how glad and exceeding and delight you are serving God and loving God. See, the Christian joy is infectious, isn't it? You know people that you run into that you just know by their demeanor, yeah, they're, they're, they're a Christian. Why? Because the joy just is all around their demeanor. It's a great advertisement for who we are and whose we are. As we said last week, this idea of proclamation, when people see that and sense that, that's our opportunity to proclaim this God that we worship and serve. So not only are we to worship God joyfully, we're to serve God with gladness. Number three, we are to know. Know God. Look at verse 3. Know, and that, he, that Hebrew word there means understand, so understand that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. God wants you to think about him, and all 
he is and all that we are to him. This is what should be on our hearts. This is what should be on our minds. This, is be, this is, should be our main think thought, thought process as we come together corporately. Who God is. What he's done for us. I believe this verse shows us three areas in which we need to know him. Look at verse 3. He is God, his lordship. He is God. If I was to ask you, is God God? You would say, yes, God is God. He's in heaven. Do you understand that? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, a few weeks ago we were back there. God is in heaven. We're on earth. Let your words be few. God is there. God is God. We are not. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Do you understand who this God is we're worshiping? Number two, we see that he wants us to know him in his creation, us. He made us. He made us there, it says in verse 3. That word made there in the original language gives this idea of fashioning, pressing, squeezing. Do you remember playing with Play-Doh? Pastor Frank still does in his office play with Play-Doh. <laughs> Forming, squeezing. That's what God did as he made us. Psalms 139 is another passage of reference where he intricately woven us in our mother's womb. Each and every one of us, God wants us to know what he did when he made us. In August of 2015, the orthopedic specialty group put out a, just a, a, a list of things very unique about the human body. I just want to share just a couple of them with you just to realize God's intricacy in, in, in creating humanity. There's anywhere from 60,000 to 100,000 blood vessels in our bodies. And it says if you tie them end to end, this is, blows my mind away, it could wrap around the world three times. That's not from me, please. I, I know nothing about science. But that's all evolution, right? No, those listening, we don't believe in evolution. Um, I'm being very, very facetious this morning. Every second, your body produces 25 million cells. So that means in 15 seconds, your body will produce more cells than are, than are Americans living in our, in our country. Accident. We just evolved. Our God is good. He's great, isn't he? Do you know that pound for pound, the bone is stronger than steel? And they say, that a, a size of a bone the size of a match, matchbox car can support up to 18,000 pounds of weight. That's our God. Now our God made us. And he wants us to know how special we are in his eyes. Because he took each and every one of us and he intricately formed, squeezed, made us who we are for his glory. Grateful for that? Yeah. Number three, we see not only his lordship, not only we see us as creation, his craft, but his ownership. He owns us. Look at the verse three there. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. David used this analogy of shepherding. He knew a lot about shepherding, didn't he? Understand how much he cared for his sheep. He's referencing here, this is how much God cares for us. God takes pride in his ownership. With ownership comes care. Right? For those that own things, we care for them. My little Mariah, she's 10. She says, I have a motorcycle. She says that the motorcycle is my baby because I can't wash it. I wax it when it gets dirty. I said, no, Mariah, you're my baby. But I, I get your point. 
ownership comes care. God cares for us. You see, God cares for us. He intricately made us, but also we want to look at he actually also redeemed us and purchased us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. I want us to look at Romans, I mean, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, and it'll be on the screen in front of you. But in context, this is where we see the book of Revelations right before the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 4, we believe, is a picture of the rapture of the church. John is called, brought forth in his vision, the voice of a trumpet, which we believe gives a picture of what will happen to us during the rapture. And this is us, the 24 hours, standing there in heaven with God, singing this song, waiting for who? Who is worthy to open the scroll? Well, we know who is worthy, and his name is who? Jesus. And he will open the scroll, which will line out what will happen to the world from that moment on in the tribulation period. But look at this song that is sung. And they sang, we, a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, means to buy, paid the price. You ransomed the people for God for every tribe and language and every people and nation. He bought us back from the slave market of sin. Do we know that about our God? Yeah, he reconciled us back to himself through Jesus. I love Romans 8, 38 and 39 as well. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will all, in all creation will be able to separate, remove us. Nothing, nothing will remove us from God's love. Nothing. When we come together, do we know these things? Are these things going on in our minds as we praise God? Man, God, thank you for being God. Thank you for creating and making me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for caring for me. So we worship joyfully. We serve with gladness. We need to know the God we are worshiping. And lastly, we need to thank God continually. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That word just means a confession of praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. You might say, you know, I just don't feel like giving thanks to God today. It's been a tough week. It's been a tough year. You know what? I just, I'm just taking a pause on that. Let me just share with you, church. We are commanded to give thanks to God in all things. Look at Paul told the Christians in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in verse 18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It says it, it's God's will for us to give thanks continually. You know, our country in 1789 was probably, they say, one of the worst places our country has ever been in. Disease, sickness, war, death. They say that there was more graves being dug than houses being built during that time of our country's history. Yet, despise all the grief and disaster that we've seen in our families in that time. President George Washington proclaimed and put in degree a day of thanksgiving. That we were to step back as a country and thank God, regardless of all the things we see wrong back in that time, a day of thanksgiving to remember what God has done for us. When we come to worship, 
Do we think about any of these things of who God is, that he made us, he bought us, he redeemed us, he owns us, therefore he cares for us, and we are just so enthralled in that fact of this great God that we serve and worship. So we worship joyfully, we serve glad, we know God, we thank continually. So at the end of your life, what will be your regret? I know what my regret would probably be. I wish I would have done more of the praying, more of reading the Bible, more of worshiping, more of being in tune with God than worrying about all the distractions that have taken us away from that. You know, as we end this particular study in worship, many of us will leave here and say, that was great, great, great series, loved it, took notes in my Bible, awesome. But will we apply this to our life? Will we apply this when we come and we corporately gather together and we think about who our God is and we think about that when we come through these doors that we're focused on the object of Jesus Christ and the triune God? The pastors can't make you do this. We have to come to a realization, you know what? When I come to worship, I'm going to start taking this serious. You know, I'm going to come and I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to rejoice. I don't care what other people think because I am here to worship the one who saved me, who redeemed me, who made me, who owns me. I had a member call me this week. And say, Pastor Jay, I just, I struggle with something. The Lord was telling me to do something in worship during the song last week, Behold Our God. And it's a beautiful song of just doctrine and theology. I just wanted to get down on my knees and just, just worship. And I didn't. Because I was afraid what other people would think. Church, we can't, we can't worship that way. We can't. You don't, I don't answer to you. You don't answer to me. One day you're going to answer to God. We follow God's spirit leading in our life. As long as it does not go against God's word. Yeah, if Andrew Wetzel started running around the church screaming and hollering at Andrew, okay, that's not appropriate in worship. <laughs> All right? But remember, we worship God in spirit. We also worship him in truth. And everything, anything in the word of God that it tells us to do in worship, we are, we are free to worship that way. Raising hands, clapping hands, shouting, bowing down. I mean, going through the Old Testament, they bowed prostrate before God. Listen to God's leading in your life in worship. You're here worshiping Him, the Creator. I know sometimes we, you know, people that stand during songs and be like, wow, they say, they're worshiping. Let them go. If you can't see the screen, then move over and get some other seat. You know, we got, we got to be sensitive to people who are tuning in to God and worshiping. If they decide to stand and sing, let them do it. Follow God. You're here to worship Him, not me, not other people. Worship God. Can, will we make the changes? I hope we will. I hope we will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Help us as we look at this idea of worship. Lord, it's, it's all we worship every day. Whatever we eat, whatever we drink, do all to the glory of God. But Lord, as we come together and we gather, may we be just so focused and in tune with you that when we leave here, we are just, we are, we are so glad and so delighted that we were able to meet with you and to praise you for who you are. 
Lord, we love you. Give us a great week. Be with individuals in our church that are sick and afflicted, that couldn't be here and are struggling with their health. We just pray you'd heal them. Lord, give us all an opportunity this week to use worship as an idea of proclamation. May we proclaim to someone at our jobs, young people at your schools, that God is God and what he has come to do for us through Jesus. Proclaim the gospel to someone this week. Thank you so much for who you are and what you are to us. You are a good, good father. In your precious name.